The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, in appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives through cultural connections. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your host, Brian Kelly. I cannot wait to jump into this episode with Joe Jones. If you don't know Joe Jones, that's on you, okay? He is very much uh, very visible in the community in a lot of different ways. Wears a lot of hats in this community, quite frankly. And um, uh, for this particular conversation, I wanted to speak to Joe largely uh, through his role as Second Ward City Commissioner here in Grand Rapids. Um, but he's also president and CEO of the Grand Rapids Urban League. And uh, if that's not enough, you know, you got to wear a lot of hats. Uh, Joe's uh, got a lot of hats. And uh, he's also assistant pastor at Brown Hutcherson Ministries. Hutcherson. I didn't, I, I hope I didn't butcher that. Brown Hutcherson Ministries. So he's a man who's uh, very, uh, very, very focused on uh, racial equity, inclusion, uh, getting people a uh, seat at the table getting people up on their feet, no matter who you are, where you're from, what your educational background is, how much money you have in your pocket. He's getting uh, everyone uh, connected to resources to moving their lives forward. And um, for this conversation, I think it was great to talk to him as a second ward city commissioner. Uh, he's not particularly uh, political or, or politically uh, careful. It's a candid conversation about where we're at as a city. We're going through some changes and challenges. Um, we also, at a time uh, when we're experiencing, like a, every community in the country, a bit of um, a, 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 a lot of conversation around the ideas of equity, inclusion, and fairness. And uh, Grand Rapids has had some some gaping wounds ripped open uh, the last uh, throughout 2020. Uh, we just have a history that uh, we need people like Joe Jones uh, at the city commission level and moving uh, us forward as a community together. What I'm most impressed about Joe, and I've gotten to know him over the last three or four years, um, he's a great leader, a strong leader, uh, very uh, just someone you can talk to and you feel like he's listening. He's empathetic. He's uh, very analytical in his approach to what's happening. He's not emotional even when people are coming at him uh, emotionally, which is something I, I, I couldn't do. Uh, he, he's well-suited for his job at uh, the second ward city commissioner and representing the second ward. And so uh, this is a good conversation, and I, I, I couldn't wait to get it out um, to you, we came to the studio just uh, like every other uh, portrait session, <laughs> you know, or part of the premise of the podcast is you come to the studio, I create a portrait of the guest, and then we sit down and talk about whatever we want. So this is my conversation with Joe Jones, and let's uh, it, let's explore the bigger picture now with City Commissioner, President, and CEO. Uh, assistant Pastor Joe Jones. Okay, Joe, what'd you have for lunch today or breakfast? I had uh, tacos from uh, 
Taqueria San Jose oh. for lunch. Arguably the best taco place. I would, I would suggest the same, yeah. It's yeah. a good stuff. Yeah. Boy, the Barry White did kick in, dude. It, it, it's natural. It's coming in. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> Joe Jones. Cool. Uh, okay, so we were talking, Joe. We are recording now, but Taqueria San Jose. Yeah. Tacos today, right? That's right. It was a real deal. At least once a week. Sometimes I'll, maybe I'll be disciplined and do it every every other week. But yeah, I get the same thing all the time. What is it? What's the go-to, Joe? Uh, for me, it is uh, one chicken, so that's one pollo. Yeah. And one asada. Yeah. Taco. Supreme with no onion. Okay. So yeah. I can't get enough of anything pastor. If it's, yeah. oh, you know, the pork, the yeah. pork pastor yeah. and... um. They have a good there. They, yeah, that place is good. I also like the legacy of that place. It's like a, a root beer stand. Yeah, you know, like yeah. <laughs> it's on division. You pull in this, like, what's going on here? And it's just killer tacos. Yes, it's so good. All right, well, Joe Jones, thank you very much. I wanted to welcome you. Of course, we go back away, so it's not like we're we're. Uh, completely new to each other but we've had some one-on-one conversations we've i think mm-hmm. we even saw a maxwell concert together we did a long really. time back yeah. in um a- angela angela set us up with some tickets there or put a group together mm-hmm. we bought our uh, just for all you city government we bought our <laughs> own tickets we did. via angela that's right so uh but uh and then i've been by the urban league and talked about stuff and talked about projects and things like that but uh, I think the lens I want to see, no pun intended, the lens through which this conversation is is uh, primarily, although I'm interested in a lot of things you're doing, but as uh, second ward city commissioner of Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. And how long have you held that post now? I was appointed back in uh, 2016 and elected in 2017. And you were appointed why? Remind me again. Uh, I actually was appointed to replace the mayor. Uh, she oh, had just, yeah. She was just she elected won. mayor, and uh, when her term, when she took over as mayor, um, there was a, a uh, appointment process, and so I applied and was able to uh, impress my colleagues enough to where they said yes to my, uh, to my role uh, yeah. to replace her. What yeah. was the catalyst to get into, had you been in politics before? Uh, interestingly enough, uh, growing up in Detroit, uh, my idol was Coleman Young, who was the first African-American mm-hmm. mayor. And um, I literally wanted to be the mayor of Detroit when I was a little boy. Yeah. And so when I moved here, I had a love for politics. I had a love for politics in Detroit. I was very active on, in community. And so, um, believe it or not, I moved here in 96. I first ran for office in 99. I ran for third ward city commissioner. Yeah. Um, I ran against... Wait, but yeah. at that point, were you... Were you running the Urban League at that point? Nope. Okay. Nope. I was, uh, what was I doing? I was, I was working in sales and marketing for a local company. And um, my, uh, my opponents were Reverend Robert Dean, Bill Blickley, Bing Goy, mm-hmm. and Alex, Alex Murdoski. Um, and uh, I'll never forget that. <laughs> I, and I got... Polish guy in the second ward? <laughs> what? The third ward, actually. Third ward. Third, oh, third ward. ward. Sorry, third ward. Yeah, because I lived on the southeast yeah. side. And... Um, I came in third place, man. I lost. In fact, I, I was a couple of hundred votes away from 
moving on to the general election. Mm. And I'd only been here for two and a half years. Um, I was called a carpetbagger. Really? Oh yeah, dude. It was it was ugly. Um, but politics I was, is ugly. Joe that's right, Jones? brother. <laughs> ugly. <laughs> and, and so literally, I, I worked my tail off. My wife and I, we walked at least three quarters of the third ward, bro. Knocked on doors. I never forget it because my my youngest son, Miles, was buddy was uh, was about two years old. Um, no, he was he was one. Miles was one. And we were just we were pushing him in his, uh, you know, in his uh, stroller, and going from door to door, man, knocking on doors, meeting mm-hmm. people, um, and came up short. But I've always had love for politics, always. Yeah. So just transit. So how long ago? How how long in between then your next run for public office? Yeah. After that, between that and 2016. Yeah. It was uh, so 99. I ran, and then I, then I put my name in the hat again. I forgot what year it was. It was for an appointment in the third ward, and I was a finalist. Um, it was in the 2000s, uh, clearly, and uh, I was going up against uh, James White, mm-hmm. and he was selected. Uh, but I just kind of gave it a rest, and uh, again, it always had it in my heart to want to serve and to engage in a more intimate way, and that's... That's always been my aim. And so opportunity presented itself when the mayor ran and successfully, you know, uh, or, you know, won the election for mayor. And it was like, hey, why not? So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm a big fan. I supported, just in disclosure, how uh, your reelection campaign. Thanks, bro. Just, yeah, well, and the... Um, but I, I think what's interesting right now is I a week and a half ago or so, time stamped of is today, I'm not sure exactly when this episode will come out, but I interviewed Mark Washington, and um, one thing I was as I was getting prepared, he's the city manager of Grand Rapids, the first black mm-hmm. city manager of Grand Rapids, and it got me thinking about all the firsts. For one, anyone who thinks there's not racism still existing we're still experiencing a lot of firsts mm-hmm. in our own community we right really are. yeah <laughs> a lot of firsts yeah. first female mayor yep first black city manager mm-hmm. first first black city attorney yes uh who's the supervisor controller dude right who's he's a new position not the comptroller but the um you know you, what I'm talking about you're uh, talking he about works for mark I think. yeah you're talking about Brandon, oversight oversight Brandon, Brandon Davis Brandon yeah mm-hmm. first black city police chief correct um, our city commissioners, if you just look at them, must be the most diverse, I think, in our city's history. Ever. Gender, <laughs> yes. racially, yes. Um, backgrounds. That's a lot of firsts for a 170-year-old city. Mm-hmm. Grand Rapids, 170 years old. Mm-hmm. How is it, Joe, in your opinion, that we get to 170 years old in the city of Grand Rapids and we're still having waves of firsts with mm-hmm. minorities in different segments of the community having a seat at the table. Why is this, Joe? You know, I, I believe it speaks to um, the fact that our city in many ways um, has historically been a place that is is relatively closed. And so, as you know, Grand Rapids is very relational. Um, some would say that it's really hard to break into the city. Uh, there's the old saying that if, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. 
Um, and so, as you know, in terms of people of color, I've always thought that there has been a history of of, of a lack of opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, in particular for African Americans and, and Latinx in our beloved community. And you know, to be the first, you know, within the last five years, it is it's it's both it's it's a celebration, but it's also relative, it's sad, you know, because right. to your point, 170 years. You know, a new millennium, what the heck? And we're just getting to being, you know, to, to, to having certain, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, barriers being broken. Yeah. Um, it's, but, but yet, if you look at it, um, I think from the perspective that I try to look at it, it is, you know, it's, 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 it's progress. Um, maybe not yeah. the pace that we all want it, but it's, it does speak to I think that's an, it's an optimistic way to put mm-hmm. a veneer on it, mm-hmm. but it's still, to me, per, I'm speaking personally, I'm not speaking for you, it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it is. And it just, to people in the community who may be on the fence about, well, I don't really see it. I don't really see the, you know, the problems, or I don't see where the barriers are, or where there's... Um, uh, you know, systematic things. These are all like hot terms right now. Some people get real inflamed about them. Other people go, what do you mean by systematic thing? Well, let's figure this out. You know, what is? what do you mean that the, we're repeating cycles like this? Which we are. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, uh, it, to me, it's, um, it's not just sad, but it's just also it speaks to the invisibility of some of these barriers that mm-hmm. we face as a community because they're, ingrained on us and especially to white folk if I can be white people mm-hmm. I can say folk can I? <laughs> I'd say it all the time brother without the S that's the proper way to say it folk that's right okay. <laughs> um, you know I mean it's it's uh, unless you experience the bumping into those barriers which you never will if you're uh, white or live in a different part of the city or you're in the suburbs mm-hmm. not going to experience any of that stuff so um, the fact that we still have a lot of historic firsts happening in a kind of a domino fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Lyman Parks in the 70s as our first African-American male and never since. Correct. So I think it was 72 or 71 or 70, somewhere around there. But um, I don't really, that was a, a really great, like stupid soliloquy for me. But I'm I'm interested in you know, is this a, an exciting time? And when I, I'm excited about the these progresses, this fa- especially now in the city when we're facing civil unrest, we had property damage. We have a lot of people raising their voices, getting noisy on both sides about stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think we're well suited. And I said to Mark Washington, you know, I mean, I hope the the deck is stacked here to get some things going in a way that's very positive for the entire community. And I don't know, I think the biggest battle is getting people to not, to understand and wrap their head around that it isn't an either or proposition. That getting more people to the table is gonna benefit everybody. Correct. And do you have any perspective about just as you move through this challenging time, how how are we how are you best uh how how do you handle moving policies that some people or promoting or 
supporting policies that some people feel are they're losing something out of the deal, losing control, and then being able to create consensus in this contentious time. Maybe that's a better question, not about policy, but how do we create consensus and alignment around ideas when some people always feel like there's something's getting taken from them? You just said a whole lot in terms of, uh, no, just, just you're spot on uh, with regards to the, the, the mindset of today for a lot of people. The automatic assumption is, is if you're looking to improve the life chances of those who have been historically marginalized, that equates to something being taken from those that have. I'm the guy who, are, who always reminds folks, last I check, it's a pretty big pie. And so to assume that there's not enough pie for more people is short-sighted. And it actually is, uh, I think in many ways, it's, it's, it speaks to um, what I would say is the, the foundation of a lot of what we're dealing with, and that's fear. Yeah, right. It's, I mean, it's just as simple as that, man, that we have, you know, we're in a day and an age right now where we have fear of the unknown, we have uh, of, of fear of the other, Mm-hmm. Uh, we have fear of the unknown in terms of the days to come because we're sitting in the midst of pandemics. And um, I think that, and, and I think on top of all of that is this fear of, as you mentioned, this fear of loss, of, being, of something being taken from. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as I'm having conversations in community uh, around some very delicate topics, bro, I'm going to tell you something right now, man. Uh, you know, you, you talked about the public... Um, uh, public sentiment and the, the the community voice, and that thing is on steroids right now. Do you hear me? Yeah, um, I do. Regardless of what the issues are, it doesn't matter. Folks are coming to the microphone and 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 going to their computer and and typing letters and emails um, and 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 developing correspondence that speak to what they believe in. And unfortunately, quite often, it does not leave much room for anything resembling consensus. It is about, you know, hey, if you don't see things from my perspective, then you are trash. I, you know? And uh, to equal weight, I, you know, it's uh, both sides. I see, that, I see that really pointed, direct, um, often uninformed and just uh, stubborn. Um, uninformed is worse than being stubborn uh, by far. But we see it on all sides. Emotions are high, as you said. Mm-hmm. Like we seem to all have an, a tremendous stake mm-hmm. in everything, everything right now. Yeah. Everything, and that makes the the process of governing harder because you're supposed to govern on consensus and bridge building and moving people along and uh, together. When right now, as you said, it's it's got to be. I don't want to read your inbox. You know. Dude, uh, true story. We've probably received well over seven to eight thousand, about seven thousand correspondence since the riots uh, regarding um, the police and the community, both for and against. A total of eight thousand. Hmm. Okay. Um, there was a time in which those correspondence were coming. There were a couple coming in every minute because hmm. I, mean, I have my my email connected to my phone. And my phone's just going off just all day long, dude. And, you know, it was, um, it was, I, I can appreciate it because I'm a firm believer in the First Amendment right. I, I'm like, you know, you got a voice, use it. All I ask is that you do so in a way that's respectful. 
Yeah. And that's all I ask for. Uh, but, you know, there, there, there are those uh, in our midst who they operate from a place of it's, it's, it's better to be um, aggressive with, they believe, it, they, they believe it's better to be aggressive with their message. Um, and so they just kind of do so without, without really considering the need to be respectful. And so I will tell you, there's been a couple of times where I've had some, um, uh, some constituents well, I've literally, uh, Brian, had to stop them in mid-sentence and, and ask the question, who do you think you're talking to? Right? Because mm-hmm. last I checked, I'm, I'm a grown freaking man. You hear me? Mm-hmm. And so I know you, obviously you feel very strongly about this subject, but uh, let's just, you know, let's, I need to remind you, I'm a grown man. I've not disrespected you. I'm going to ask you not disrespect me. Right? Mm-hmm. And so um, very, very contentious. Um, And I think part of what I see as a solution, what I try to do, I think the context is important. And to your point, you you mentioned earlier about the the dangers of being misinformed. My brother, I would say that the vast, that that a good chunk of folks who are engaged in some of the more complex issues in our midst are operating quite often without all the facts. And that's understandable because there are certain things that we are made aware of in the role that we play as elected officials that we aren't at, at liberty to share. So it's, yeah. it's like I, I, I'm not in a position to just kind of like lay everything out and say, okay, I'm ba- I'm, here's everything that I'm using to base my decision. Right. Um, because some of it is confidential. Some of it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attorney-client privilege type thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not in a position to just kind of put it all out there. Right. And I can't tell you how many times, and I would never say it, but how many times I've wanted to say, since I've been elected, especially uh, during the times in which we've had very difficult conversations, I've wanted to tell the community, trust me. But dude, that just, for a lot of people, they're like, whatever, whatever. I don't, you know, I, I know who you are. I, I, you know, I, I, I like you, I respect you. But this idea of, you know, because in the, back in the day, you say that, people are like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, okay, if you say trust you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you. Mm-hmm. Now, no, dog. It, it just no. Well, I think there's two parts to that. One is, um, I think it depends which which community is really grinding your ass. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I think if it's from a place where people have been disenfranchised for mm-hmm. a long time, I think you can say, well, we've been trusting people. We say that people are going to do the right thing. Right. I'm not putting you in any particular bucket, but I'm saying, okay, I can understand certain frustrations in the community. And the need for action now, especially when everything comes in, you know, socially news, all this stuff, covering live events, the riots downtown, all this stuff. It's like, you know, now we're going to mark, you know, it's like at this pace that you can hardly breathe and make decisions. And the pace of government intentionally is slow, Mm -hmm. you know, by design. Mm -hmm. It really needs to grind. The, The justice is slow. Yes. But hopefully we arrive at justice. And that doesn't mean that things can't be accelerated but at the same time i understand the frustration from from certain segments of the community i understood the violence i understood the violence me too and just to retread i i do want to touch back on that because i think um the violence for me downtown and i'm speaking of on was that memorial week of may 30th 30th. thank you Mm -hmm. you know there was a lot of 
you know, damage and all this stuff. And, and for me, my takeaway was like, yeah, I hope, you know, I know a lot of those business owners down there, you know, a lot of those storefronts I patronized and they were getting smashed in and, and, uh, Sanchez building was on, on burning mm-hmm. or I had a dumpster underneath. And it was some pretty touch and go moments. It could have been a lot worse than it was. And it was bad. Cops cars got burned. I understood the me- I understood the frustration. Mm-hmm. I don't know that necessarily the people acting out at that point were the people who are truly disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. But it had a moment, and it took. But I have two points, and then I want to hear everything you have. And I, I have two takeaways that I think are pretty, pretty solid. But at the same time, I'm a man who's not. No one is fully informed. You know, I'm not fully informed. I'm curious. I want to learn. I'm from parts of town that I'm trying to have. I don't have the perspective of most of the people who have been very disenfranchised systematically mm-hmm. over the years, so I'm really trying to listen and change and, and evolve with facts and become informed, right? So my first takeaway from the riots was that I was not clutching my pearls about the damage downtown. Sad mm-hmm. that it got to that point. My other takeaway was that uh, if we had attacked the cleanup, it, you know, the, the cleanup of the city was attacked so quickly with this overwhelming support. You had glass, you had people cleaning up graffiti. Uh, I think by 11 o'clock on Sunday, that place was cleaner than downtown than ever been. We have a very clean downtown. Mm-hmm. And then... So uh, I'll, get to, <laughs> I'll get to my point. If we would attack some of these other s- social problems we have, social injustice problems, from all points of the community that came down with brooms, came down with you know, dust pans, trying to help boarding up buildings that had broken glass, I think we could move along a lot farther towards that um, equity stake that we have, but it just... Those are more abstract problems that are harder to see than a broken window. But people think, oh, these businesses were victimized. And I'm like, no, I, I, yeah, they were victimized. They didn't ask for that. They weren't. Right. But at the same time, I, I'm, not, I'm not torn up about property. I'm torn up about how we got that frustrated in the beginning. And I also right. need to tip my hat to the police department at the time that there weren't any people seriously hurt right. on both sides. They showed a lot of restraint in a very chaotic time. Mm -hmm. They let the air out of the balloon enough that it didn't burst and get really bad. Mm -hmm. But that was my one takeaway. So can we just talk from your perspective? Let's talk about that. Um, Because I even forgot what my other lockdown point was. (laughs) I'm so impressed with myself. I'm sorry. (laughs) But no, I just didn't didn't care about the property. Uh, They all have a business insurance. Mm -hmm. They all are going to be open tomorrow. Sad. It's a stain on the city for sure that there was violence, but I don't put it on the people that were frustrated. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a we're in it together, so that's a kind of a together problem for me. And I, I don't know if there's anything you align or disagree with with that as a city commissioner. You're trying to lead through that, or what your thoughts were about that? No, uh, you are. I, th- I think you're spot on. Again, um, you know, I had the uh, unique opportunity to be present uh, during the riots. I had. Um, 
decided to go down. Actually, I was invited to come and, and pray over the marchers. I'd gotten a call from the organizers uh, asking if I would come and pray for the marchers before the march began. This was a couple days before. So I made my way downtown to Rosa Park Circle. I got there at about 15 minutes in advance. And as I arrived, I noticed that people were leaving. And so I couldn't find the organizer. And I'm I just I was led to believe that perhaps things were taking a different turn. And so I just kind of s- stood there on stage and watched as people began to um, head south on Monroe and then make a left, which is going east on Fulton. And everything uh, in my mind said they're going to the police department because at that time throughout the country, that's what most protesters were doing. They were going to the police station. Mm-hmm. So I jump in my car and I drive back over in that vicinity. I end up parking a little bit farther up Fulton near Lafayette. And I walk down to the corner of Fulton and Division. And I sit and I, um, I just watch as the, uh, the crowd grows and uh, they literally have the police station surrounded. I'd say a fair number, a fair uh, guesstimate would be about three, three to 5,000 people. Yeah, it was a big, the, big the daytime protest was definitely yeah. pretty big. Yeah, it was, it was significant size, significant in size. So I stood, I, I stood around for like an hour or so, and, you know, very peaceful protest. They were chanting, and that was that. So I get home, and uh, I get a call uh, from some folks in the community who were down there and say, hey, Kamish, you might want to make your way back down here. It's getting kind of chippy. I said, what's up? They said, well, I know that uh, there's some folks who are trying to get into the back of the police department. They're trying to pull up the overhead door. Mm-hmm. And then I got another call saying, Kamish, they actually put chains on the outside doors of the police station on Monroe Center. And, and so I headed back down, and uh, I was looking for the, the city manager, and he was in the... Um, what's called the, the Emergency Control Center. I think it's, mm-hmm. I forgot the, 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 the proper name. Anyway, that was in the police station, so I couldn't get to him. So he suggested, he said, why don't you just go to the city hall because I know the mayor was, was coming back down too. So I came back down there. So I reached out to the mayor. I said, hey, heading back down. Are you heading back down too? She said, yeah. I said, you mind if I join you? She said, cool. So we sat uh, in her office and we watched the television footage and we you know, we saw the damage that was being done, mm-hmm. and we both had made the decision that we were going to go and, and walk. We're going to walk the streets. And so also Brandon Davis came down. He's heading, the, the, the gentleman who heads up oversight and accountability. He was there too. So the three of us walked the streets of downtown Grand Rapids about 1.30 in the morning, <laughs> and we saw the damage that was being done. Right. And to your point, you said it earlier, the rage. Um, you could feel it. You could see it. Um, it was like nothing I've ever experienced because usually this is stuff that you see on television happening in other cities. Yeah. Surreal we, for sure. V- very surreal. Um, and folks were just going ham on windows and public property and just, if it wasn't bolted to the ground, brother, they were picking it up and throwing it. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was wild. And to your point, I would suggest that it clearly wasn't just those who had been um, historically marginalized who were doing the damage. In fact, yeah. I think it's fair to say it was a lot of folks who just 
I think in, in some ways it was their profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... They were for a good time. Yeah, yeah. And so we literally, we walked, and every other time, every other building, the mayor would say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, because of the damage that was being done. But again, there was a, a feeling that I had. Like, you could feel it in the air. You could hear... Dude, I want you to just imagine, it's like there's no music, there's the sounds of the city... Which, which, inclusive, which, which is inclusive of broken windows, um, stuff being smashed, car alarms being go, going off. You could just, you, mm-hmm. it was surreal, yeah. right? One of, the, one of the, 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 the oddest, strangest, and coolest things was as we're walking, and we all have masks on, right? As we're walking, um, people are like driving by and they're saying, Mayor, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> they recognized the mayor, bro. And, and they like, they pulled over and they came over and they started talking to her. And she availed herself and listened. And they apologized. They were like, you know, we're, here, we're down here because of this and that. And we're down here because we're, we're, we're tired of being treated the way, the, 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 you know, we're, we're trying, tired of being mistreated. Uh, we're, we're tired of the police. I mean, they had a litany of, of reasons why they were down there. Mm-hmm but very apologetic and said it was nothing against you, Mayor. That happened like three times, bro. Hmm. It was like people just like literally slowing down and looking at their car and just coming up. And so that was, that was, that was I think, an opportunity for people to recognize the mayor as very human, very much you know, in touch and, and, and available. Yeah. Um, I then, you know, we, we then walked back to the city hall and the mayor had to head upstairs to finish up a, um, a statement that she was going to make. Brandon and I left and I went home and I stayed up until about four o'clock in the morning. I did two interviews, one with Wood TV, one with Fox 17 by phone. Got up at like seven o'clock in the morning, went back downtown for the, you know, just to watch the cleanup. Um, and to your point, if there was as much energy and effort and just pure determination uh, put towards some of the more uh, complex and big issues of the day. If that same energy was put toward those things, I believe it would solve them. Mm-hmm. Because to your point, bro, it was like people were, I mean, it was everything from, I mean, I saw people on their hands and knees scrubbing. I mean, it was like yeah. in the, in the, in the, in the, on the sidewalks, right? Yeah. And so... You know, it was that evening, that night when it happened, um, I tell people, um, at least for me, my life changed, man. My life changed. I was on an emotional roller coaster. And to some extent, I still am. But for that first month thereafter, man, bruh, it was, I would just have these fits of just sadness and just being overwhelmed because Everything was coming to a head. I'm, a, I'm working diligently to be a historian, and so in particular about the African-American experience. And so to your point, I understand why. I understand the rage. Yeah. I understand the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the language. I understand the, the, the plea for equity and for justice. I get it. I get it. But to see it happen and to be there present and to hear, 
not just the side of those who want justice, but those who feel like, hey, you need to get those folks under control. And we were, we were hearing it all. Yeah. Right? No, and, yeah. From, from our perch. We, we, yeah. we just, and so it was, it, it has not, my life has not been the same since. And so yet I recognize the time in which we're in um, as a real opportunity. Uh, the, it's, it's an often quoted um, mantra that uh, many have used, and, and it goes like this. Um, never let a crisis go to waste. Right. And so here we are in the midst of a crisis, and I'm looking at this as a golden opportunity to promote equity and to try to find a way to really improve the life chances of African-Americans and Latinx in our community like never before, hmm. to where more and more people can get a bite at the apple, they can get access to opportunities, they can get access to prosperity, and they can have access or you know, be able to tap into improved life chances, right? Um, but we are, it's, it's, it's happening at a time in which the economy's taking a hit, um, and yet, in many ways, we've hit rock bottom. Like, like we're starting over in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I see it as a wonderful window of opportunity that's wide open. Don't know how long it's going to be open. I mean, I, th I think we can agree that soon after George Floyd, you had a number of corporations, both local and throughout the world, who were just doing all they could to show support for black folks. Yeah. Making significant contributions, mm -hmm. pledging their support for Black Lives Matter. I mean, making very strong statements and posting them. It was over the top and making a commitment to diversify their workforce, their management, ownership, everything. Some would say that's a thing of the past. Like, like what happened to that energy? I'm of the opinion that we need to keep on keep keep, keep our foot on the pedal. And, and I'm, I'm a communications guy. I believe that words matter. And so we need to be ever thoughtful about the importance of narrative for such a time as this. Yeah. Right? And so what's, well, what's being put the, out that's there? That's the easiest thing to hijack, though, is the narrative. Absolutely. We see it every day. Every day. Mm -hmm. So maintaining, I think, the signal, the signal strength is hard when it's so easy to corrupt Messages. Mm -hmm. Take a soundbite. Mm -hmm. Play it out of context. Say something you didn't say. Right. Say just blatantly say, "Well, they said this at the city commission meeting, or whatever." Larger, whatever layer of. I'm not putting on. <laughs> I'm not putting on government to solve our problems. It's a, it's an us problem too. But mm -hmm. certainly, in the city and other and government entities can lead the way towards solving some of these problems that we seem to be unwilling to solve ourselves, right? But uh, I 100% agree, but the narrative, so if you're a communications guy and, mm -hmm. the, and the narrative, and if the narrative is now well, we have an opportunity to speak, we have everybody speak interest, I mean speak metaphorically, to how we want our community to work better for more people. Yep. Is that, do you feel at this point the, the narrative is becoming sort of a, in line with one another and moving forward? Or how are you, uh, 
How are you feeling about, you know, in light of the city committee? Like, I mean, Grand Rapids often is, it is very se- historically, you know, we're in the north, but very right. segregated very city. So. so, you know, we don't have a segregated leadership, city leadership anymore. That's great. That's mm-hmm. the first step. And then um, from here, it's like getting all the, but there's, oh man, Joe, I, I don't even know how to tell you like how complicated I understand these problems are and how you move and lead, help lead the city is uh, nearly, it's not impossible, but it's impossible to please everybody. Oh, dude, you just, it is virtually impossible to please everyone. And I think there are some in our community who have been given that task and it's impossible. And I can't help but to think about and mention our police chief. Yeah. He is in an impossible position. He happens to be a really good man who's trying his best, but it's, you know, and not just him, it was his predecessor. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's pretty much anyone in that position throughout the country, this, this yeah. the head of law enforcement, sure. right? Yeah, and, and because you have all these competing narratives and, 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 and differing opinions. And, you know, I will tell you this, that I depend heavily on a couple things when it comes to leading. One is I depend on uh, my faith walk, which is something that I can't just kind of put in the drawer and put away and only use it on Sundays. Mm-hmm. It's with me. It's part of my DNA. It's who I am. Well, it's part of your profession. It, absolutely. Your calling, so there, there's that too. <laughs> just for the audience, I mean, yeah. Joe is also an ordained pastor. Mm-hmm. And... Um, are you? Do you head up a church right now? I am actually uh, assistant pastor over at Brown Hutcherson Ministries. Actually, my, my pastor is my colleague Nathaniel Moody. Oh, cool! On the commission. All right, awesome. Um, I'll let you get it back yeah. on your point. Sorry, but yeah. well, you were talking about faith as being part of your um, informs your uh, ideas and decision making around leadership mm-hmm. or these problems yes. that are coming up. The, the other is I really depend heavily upon history. There's, man, I tell you something, bro. There's something to be said about you know the wisdom uh, that suggests that there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I really spent a lot of time trying to get a better understanding of how was this handled back in that day, and not to say I'm going to look to copycat it, but it, it, it provides, I think, context and insight to be able to make good, solid decisions today that you know aren't going to be always widely accepted. And you have to, I think, live with that, especially in today's politics, because there's always the threat of you know, folks saying, I'm coming after you when it's time for re-election, or I want to recall you. And it's just like, you know what? Um, again, I'm going to, uh, you, you, you elected me. And I'm going to, I really, I'm going to hope that you recognize that I'm just not kind of making decisions off the cuff here, that I'm literally trying to make some very thoughtful decisions. I'm trying to be as discerning as possible. I'm trying to tap into history. I'm trying to tap into the wisdom of my elders, as well as the wisdom of the younger generation. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it's actually being said now that you're missing something if you don't have a mentor who's uh, if you don't have a, a mentor who's an elder and a mentor who is a, a millennial. Hmm. And so I have, I have millennial mentors. And, that's great. Yeah, and some would say that's crazy. I'm not, no, you, you need that. Um, and so 
we're, we're, you know, when it comes to decision making these days, it just is, um, you have to take a number of things into consideration. But I think at top of mind, it has to be really discerning and trying your best to understand what the potential um, unintended consequences could be. Mm-hmm. And how can I do my best to minimize unintended consequences? Yeah. Because they're there, dude. And you don't, yeah. you don't see them, obviously, until it happens. It's like, ah, be, right? Yeah. And some, sometimes it's just it's too late. Yeah. So I'm, I'm and yet, you know, I, I, I feel like I've been built for this. Right, right. You know, for such a time as this. I really do. Yeah. Uh, well, I would agree. I, I think. Um, it's you're a unique mix between pastor, counsel, uh, leader. Uh, you have to listen. Yeah. You really. That's probably the hardest part. You know. I mean, I, I shouldn't say what the hardest part is. They're all difficult. But having the true perspective to home, it requires a tremendous amount of humility to do what you do, to be effective at it. Mm-hmm. There's lip service to humility. There's yeah, listen, I'll make you feel like whatever. But to really understand and, and have the type of empathy required mm. to make these types of humble decisions where people can, you can make decisions that minimize unintended incomes outcomes, as you mentioned, but also don't create any outcomes where people are overly penalized or overly, uh, as, you know, to what we were talking about 20 minutes ago was, you know, these, uh, you know, you drew, truly create a loss that is out of whack with something else. Mm-hmm. We tip the scales too quickly and they flip over and fall down. But, um, yeah, the other point I had, I have two, uh, uh, the second point of, to my other ones about not getting, you know, about cleaning up the windows. The other thing about our city, and I, I love DGRI and I love all of the city manager, management that has reacted really quickly, but if you look downtown, uh, now, how you drive and navigate through the city, again, I'm going to make the same point, different example, right? There's barricades up and all these dining zones, mm-hmm. and you can drink openly downtown now in certain zones and carry cocktails, which, like, I'm telling you from, <laughs> from a guy from Detroit, you know, <laughs> the fact that you could carry know, an right? alcoholic beverage outside <laughs> of a bar or restaurant. And go yeah. down a block that way right. and just enjoy it Mardi Gras style or right, like, right, like, right. like uh, you know, yeah. the Beale Street in Memphis <laughs> or something, you know, like mind blowing yeah. the amount of that was unthinkable not that long ago, <laughs> like preposterously a joke right. that that could happen. So to underscore our other point about cleaning up the city is you streets are now that were two way or one way now. Uh, there's a lot of cement barricades up to create dining on the street and help save basically the entertainment and food businesses mm-hmm. downtown. Mm-hmm. And again, the speed at which city government moved with all the other city services, uh, streets, and you know, I mean, the amount of coordination and tons of cement and barricades that were moved in a matter of a couple of weeks to create dining zones that were COVID safe mm-hmm. that would help one industry in town, which was food and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Again, if we attacked educational problems and you know equity imbalance and how schools are funded and and just how 
whatever it might be. It could be in entrepreneurial dollars available, catalyst grants, you know, the amount of money that's invested in the third ward versus the, the second ward down. Right. You know, I mean, the, the imbalance is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But we moved, we literally changed how you can move through the city so quickly. And I, I'm not even knocking it. It's a part of what makes downtown uh, salvageable right mm-hmm. now. For economically, there's still stuff to do downtown, mm-hmm. and it's safe. And the amount of boxes that had to be ticked to make all that happen so quickly, I have my hats off to everybody that had to play a part in that. And the business owners who drove how they should, you know, the city really listened to how stuff should work or how might work better. But again, same point. The reason all this stuff is going on is not just COVID, but it's a lot of other stuff in our city. And again, it's just we don't get the attention, mm-hmm. the investment, even if it's just how we're thinking about mobility in the city. Well, let's talk about mobility in education. How well, Let's talk about right. mobility in job opportunity, job training, mm-hmm. our criminal justice system, how we police. And I think to Chief's pain, I, I'm going to talk too long here, but I do have a setup question. About Chief Payne, because you brought up Chief Payne, and I think he is a great guy, and he's well-suited for this role at this amazingly difficult time. Mm -hmm. I'm quite frankly, if I can speak of race, I'm really very pleased we have our first black police chief in his role today, especially in light of 2020 and Mm -hmm. this year and the unrest that has happened and the pressures in police departments around the country. I think uh, we are lucky that We we, we don't have the same old police chief downtown, Mm -hmm. not not discrediting any other Mm -hmm. person who's held that role, but it does diffuse some of it because I think he has a unique purview. I think his heart's in the right place, but I'll get, I just have one irritant. I want your take as a city commissioner Mm -hmm. is um, we have a tremendous amount of uptick in gun violence in Grand Rapids. We've had, I think we've reached last year's murder total already, Mm -hmm. right? And deaths pretty quickly. Um, and uh, so part of that is economic related, some of it's gang related, some of it's COVID related, some of it's all this implosion of 2020, right? But um, in, in Eric Payne's new vision for the police department, he says very boldly, hey, uh, he's in writing and he says it many times. He says it on a lot of public platforms. He wants Grand Rapids Police Department to be the most trusted Police Department in the United States. Correct. Number one, mm-hmm. most trusted. That's right. Fantastic goal. Yep. I have no problem with that goal. So in reaction to the gun violence, oh, the other thing which I give him and Mark Washington credit, yourself credit, a lot of city commissioners have acknowledged uh, our police department has played a role in um, a lot of injustice and racist uh, outcomes and and racist, uh, well, I should say systemic problems in communities of color and impoverished communities that are over-policed, they're overstopped, they're treated differently than other parts of the community, Mm -hmm. right? First step is to admit we have a problem, right? Right. And and he's worried. I have no uh, doubts about Chief Payne's um, commitment and his intent. So we have this uptick in violence, and I'll get to my question, is one of the first reactions have we've now had two major sweeps, uh, beefed-up patrols, a lot more stops over weekends mm-hmm. to help combat police, uh, gun violence and just 
violence in general in certain parts of the city, which again are largely um, third ward and impoverished, you know, African-American parts of the community, Hispanic mm-hmm. parts of the community. Mm-hmm. A lot of beefed up patrols, which, uh, and a lot more stops to get more guns off the street. They say they've been successful. They've got a lot of illegal guns off the street, which is good. But at what cost mm-hmm. to the community that's already been over-policed? Already you're trying to build police trust back up, mm-hmm. but your reaction to an uptick in gun violence is to make a whole bunch of extra felony stops because if it will be a felony stop if any police officer thinks anyone on the street or in the car is might have possessed an illegal firearm, mm-hmm. they're going to be under gunpoint and put on the ground and searched until it's determined that they don't have an illegal weapon. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like almost terrorizing that community because the large percentage of your stops don't result in anything. Correct. You're just frustrating the community. Correct. They're already frustrated. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that goal, and how do you see this policy of sweeping through for guns in the very neighborhoods that are the most disenfranchised and are most distrustful of the police to solve a gun problem and violence problem, which needs some addressing, but it seems to be a short-term payoff to me. And I'm, again, uninformed, dumb dude, but I just think of myself as being in that community, and I just think, you know, yeah, I wouldn't trust the police. If I'd been pulled over 60 times in my life at a 52-year-old man, like, I don't know. That's a tough question, but how do you, what do you, how do you wrap your head around it? Because you have to support, or, you know, in some way, the, the new vision for the police department. I will say that the, um, the level of complexity is um, significant when it comes to the issue of law enforcement, policing within the African-American Latinx communities, and this balance of responding to the community's call um, you know, for, for law enforcement uh, compared to a call for law enforcement to police in a way in which uh, is directed by the community. You must understand that there are several of our neighbors in Grand Rapids who call the police with the expectation that they're going to come and handle the situation. Quite often, it's some of the older, more established folk in our community who are operating, I'll say it again, once again, this, this, that four-letter word, fear, and they don't want that type of behavior or um, that type of stuff going on in the neighborhood, so they'll call the police. So you, so you have folks who are literally calling the police, and then you have folks who are saying, hey, you don't need to be over here because you over-police. So I want to suggest that that within itself is going to cause just never-ending tension, because mm-hmm. what do you tell the elder who just wants to live in a pretty quiet, subdued neighborhood. You tell them, hey, cool out, the police are doing too much, right? And then what do you tell the individual, the activist who says, they're in my neighborhood too much, they're too aggressive, um, and yet you know, they were called by someone who looks like you, mm-hmm. right? And so I think part of the solution is it really comes down to looking at this thing 
but looking at it in terms of the root cause. How do we get to a point where we have an uptick in community violence? Mm -hmm. I want to suggest, and I've said it from the dais, I think part of what we're seeing is what we're seeing throughout the country, which is an uptick in violence. I think part of it is the frustrations and all the pains that came from being staying in place because of COVID, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's the, that's the only reason, but I think it has something to do with it, especially for our young folks. Mm -hmm. I think secondly, um, whenever I talk about community violence, I talk about it uh, from the standpoint of, of, of three variables. I call them POP, right? So there's poverty, opportunity, and there's proximity, okay? So if you are in a high-density dense, high neighborhood, where the vast majority of your neighbors are operating in poverty and lack opportunity, in that proximate location, nine times out of 10, you're going to have an area that's high crime. Mm -hmm. um, I wanna suggest that how you combat that is you focus on a couple of different things. One is you focus more on prevention. Now, you don't, you don't see many governments or uh, foundations and such who are funding prevention. Right. Prevention ain't sexy. Prevention does not give quick results. Prevention does not net you 15 guns on a sweep. It just doesn't. Right. But what it does is it, it literally takes that, it, 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 it provides the opportunity to actually get at the problem to where you won't have an uptick in community violence because you have prevented it. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to suggest that the root cause of all of this is the whole POP thing. Hey, man, if we can do a better job with what we can do with the resources that we have as a city, city government, if we can do our best to get folks in a position where they're not in poverty, mm -hmm. right, where there's enhanced opportunities, mm -hmm. regardless of where they live, you won't, you know, crime won't be, an, won't, won't be an issue. How do I know? Look throughout our city. Look at the neighborhoods where you have folks who are middle income, uh, who have good paying jobs, decent education, nice home, decent home. Good schools. Good schools. Yeah. Hey, bro. Little to no crime. I don't see cops in my neighborhood. Come on, man. Right, right, yeah. right. And so it's, it's like it ain't rocket science. Yeah. But when you talk about root cause, you know, Folks don't want to. They don't want to go there because it goes back to what we said earlier, which is this idea of, okay, if you're talking about trying to get at root cause, that that's going to cost some money. It's going to be a lot of resources. Where are you going to get it from, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole discussion around defunding police, right? Which, by the way, I think whoever came up with the term defund uh, needs to be uh, just uh, that's your communications hat, right? Throat punched, okay? Because yeah. it is the it is just it just it doesn't. It doesn't help. It just no. doesn't. Not in the effort to... It's not even what it means. It, right, right. That's just right. it. It's, it's like one of those moving definitions, and depending who you talk to, they're going to give you different, different definitions. You're talking about narratives getting hijacked. The name... That's it. You can't even get off first base because right. of the name. Right, right. You know, defund. Defund, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make any sense right. that we wouldn't have police. Right. And, and I don't... I think 99.9% .9 of the people who are in favor of so-called defunding the police uh which again worst name worst brand i work in advertising mm -hmm. marketing and branding stuff it's terrible it's the worst name ever yeah no, we're but, gonna but, reallocate yeah. uh, uh, reallocate resources. right and yeah. I, I will tell you that uh, and i I'm, I'm very public with this 
From the very beginning, I was calling for reimagining. Yeah. Okay. Now, I will tell you that there are those in our community, black, white, Latinx, they're actually, they're like, no, don't get it twisted. I want to defund. Like, I think that all of the funds should be taken from the police department and and, and that we should just do away with with the police department. That is their philosophy. That is their core belief. Mm -hmm. And they have every right to believe that. They have every right to believe in that, right? I tend to disagree. I tend to believe that when I talk about reimagining, what I want to do is I would like to put more dollars into prevention Hmm. and do all that I can to minimize the interaction between law enforcement and the African-American Latinx community. If I can do that in in a way that does does not... um, uh, endanger or, or or make matters worse in neighborhoods because crime is at a certain level. I think that until we can do, until as a, as a society we can improve the way in which police are recruited and trained, and and just you know they're, they're, the the need for them to operate with greater empathy, the need for them to operate with a greater sense of lived experience. Mm-hmm. With them to be over, just just knocked over the head with ongoing training and focus on de-escalation, yeah. all of these things I think would lead to better policing. But ultimately, it goes back again to the root cause, bro. If we have neighborhoods in which folks are employed, have access to opportunities, yeah. access to prosperity. Crime's going to take care of it's gonna, itself. Bro, it's yeah. going to take care of itself. So now the police are getting called for some of the more simpler things. I'm not saying all crime's going to go away, but no. all the, the violent stuff, sure. I, I want to suggest that it would begin to dissipate. It would minimize. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with everything you said. I don't... Uh, I believe that... Uh, well, this isn't new. I mean, Mark Washington says it as well. I mean, police departments are are doing too much. They're called to do too much. They are. They're they're they get domestic disturbances yep. and all this stuff. They deal with the poverty, impoverished people. They're counselors. They have the drug addiction people. Like all the, they're supposed to be able to handle all these things within the legal framework of the law and treat people with dignity, but the stresses that they're under all the time, like they're human beings too. And I think a yeah. lot of cops are very good and well-intended. And, mm-hmm. and, and <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. Could, I couldn't could, agree more. But the role's upside down. They should, they should be like firemen. They should be like when the fire is there, <laughs> right, you right. call it. It isn't that, you know, right. hey, somebody's drunk on right. your porch and getting mouthy and loud and you know what I mean like I anyway I don't want to get into specific scenarios but I think the framework of saying okay we can create better job training job opportunities you do the set the urban league there's you get mm-hmm. people prep for the workforce mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. uh you know the urban league is is right in the thick of it too right. of right. of this area too so I, I I hope to do a good job of setting up your bio about the multiple roles that you have in the community, but the Urban League has been on the forefront for many years about trying Almost to... Almost 80 years here in town. For trying to set up a framework mm-hmm. and, and has a framework mm-hmm. to combat this. Yes. It's just not enough horsepower in the sense that if you could carve out 
10% of the police budget, and if it was directed towards efforts like yours, job training, better stuff, recreation, like mm-hmm. things to quality do. Quality housing. Yeah, quality yeah. housing, better mm-hmm. places to live, more activities uh, around kids. That, for kids yep. that they don't have um, propensity to get into things and groups that they shouldn't be into. You wouldn't be leading the Urban League if you didn't think that that type of community service mm-hmm. is beneficial. Absolutely. see that. So it's really taking the model from the Urban League. I, I don't want to like rubber stamp it or speak for you, but I mean, in some sense, conceptually, mm-hmm. the idea is if you, organizations like yours and other ones, or even city departments, if it has to be city tax dollars diverted, you take that framework and that architecture and you put it in more parts of the community that need it, we'd have better outcomes. I believe that. I, I'm, I am a, a firm believer in, you know, whatever we can do, and it's, it's not just a city of Grand Rapids thing. It's, it's right now we're in the midst of, you know, uh, a body of work around trying to tackle racism and inequities. It requires an all-hands-on-deck approach. And so there is not one single entity that should be expected to be the primary problem solver. Yeah, We need more organizations. We need more hands. We need more resources. Because you're talking about... When I talk about the root causes, dude, you're talking about you know, some things that have been... Inequities that have been in place for centuries. Dude, you don't just get rid of those in a month or no. two. Right. Or even ten freaking years, you can you can make your way toward progress. But we're at a point now where it's okay for us to be. It's it's like we need to have this regular. We need to be we need to be given permission on a regular basis that it's okay to be intentional. It's okay to be unapologetic. It's okay to be um, just over the top in our efforts to try to get at something that is 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 continuing to put out really significantly bad outcomes mm-hmm. and that's what we're, that's, that's what's in play right now with what's happening in the urban core of Grand Rapids in particular with African Americans and Latinx is you know we're trying to do the same thing and we're getting the same results it, it requires some sort of for lack of a better term shock therapy something that is so different right that it kind of turns this thing upside down and people begin to do things differently and I want to make mention of something you just said earlier about the police. You couldn't have said it better, and, and uh, City Manager Washington hit the nail on the head. They are being asked to do things that they weren't trained to do, bro. Mm-hmm. Much like a teacher, right? Teacher is expected to be a social worker, a mm-hmm. teacher, a child care provider. Pseudo-parent. Pseudo-parent, a psychiatrist, right? Yeah. yeah. Right? Dude, you can't do that. They, 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 were, they went to school to learn how to, the, the, the art of teaching, right? A police officer expected to be a therapist, a social worker, security um, you know, a a uh, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, um, first aid responder, first aid, all yeah. that stuff, man. Yeah. And it's just it's too much. It's yeah. too much, and they're being asked to do too much. And so, part of my thinking has been and will continue to be: how can we even? How can we? You know, again, make even make their work easier mm-hmm. to where they won't be so stressed, right? Yeah. Let's see if we can find ways to put some of that work into the hands of those who went to school for 
social work for uh, for you know around around uh, drugs and alcohol around mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, was it uh, violence what do you call it uh, domestic violence mm-hmm. right all those things that the police have to respond to and as we all know the police nine times out of ten we're in it when, when we're interacting with the police it's at our very worst yeah right and so usually things don't well, don't they don't turn out well yeah and the, but that brings up a good point because I think. You know, we look to government, especially around these complicated things, to solve our problems. But at the same point, the the government should be about your fifth step towards solving the I problem. I agree. It's man to man. It's conversations like this, mm-hmm. or whatever. Knowing your neighbor, reaching out. It's about human. You know, getting back to your faith, and just how that informs your life. I mean, I, we all have this lack of. Um, e- this lack of a baseline sort of um, in it together. Well, how can I help you? What is this? Do you need anything? You know, like if one thing I've learned from COVID is uh, we do have neighbors. I check on neighbors. I check on my in-laws. We mm-hmm. check on uh, more of an outreach. Right. You know, and even if I'm in the part of, if you can just extend anything, just how are you? Or what, what can I do today? Is there anything you need? Tiny, almost like small gestures right. make a big difference. And it happens from every point down the line. It could be in the richest part of town or the m- most impoverished. But we are all individuals. Mm-hmm. We all are in command of our day mm-hmm. and how we react to whatever or how we create interactions. And this all seems high-minded and whatever but I, I you know it's hard it's easy but it's also hard and uh, that's where it gets lost but yeah let me tell you this there was a uh, a pastor that I came in contact with when I first uh, got into ministry he would always have these wise quips and one that he would always use that I'll never forget and it, it just speaks to what you just said he would say it's simple but it ain't easy <laughs> right <laughs> Perfect. So, you know, it's simple, simple, but it ain't easy. It ain't easy. Right. No, and that's, I mean, that's the same as anything. You can say it from a business standpoint, entrepreneur, the little things you need to do every single day to be disciplined, to Mm -hmm. be successful. Mm -hmm. It's all those things. But where do you learn a lot of those things is starting in school. And here's how you do this and how you do that. And here's a process and a conceptual, you know, and getting, having a table set before you where you can explore Mm. variable, varied interests. That you might not have had down the road, you know, if you hadn't been exposed to something. Right. There's so many tiny, invisible f- flashpoints that can set somebody on a course that's different. They're, they're treading water one minute, and the next minute they're swimming, freestyle, you know, towards a goal, towards something. And that is, that's the secret sauce that some, I think, a lot of the resources get uh, gobbled up in what seems urgent, you know, to give all the and people feel safer. Certain, I should say, certain people, certain parts of our city feel safer. The more money you can throw at public safety, they feel safer. Feel safer. They were never in danger to begin with, right? In the first place, right? But we still yeah. pile on more money because that's where a lot of the influence and the, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, the it's 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 upside down, and I think. Uh, that I'm, I'm encouraged that we have an opportunity to really get out from underneath the hot rhetoric of what does this mean? What does that mean? You're liberal. You're 
and Antifa, you're this, you're that, you're, you know, you're anti-capitalism, whatever labels we're going to throw at people in the midst of ideas challenging the status quo. At the end of the day, it's about pretty simple, but it, it ain't easy. Simple, but it ain't easy. Yeah. But it, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I, you know, it is a simple idea. It's like, well, we'll shift, uh, uh, you know, we'll shift resources and create more micro opportunities around town, especially for young people, because that's where the lasting change. I mean, there there is a point in no return if you're 45 and still trying to get your reading level up to a certain. You know, the it's that's a tough, that's a triple hard road to get down. You know, and I'm not picking on anybody in with impoverished or lower reading level or anything. It's just fact is it's going to be a lot harder mm-hmm. to get on top of it but that doesn't mean you still can't be decent to your neighbor and everybody else in town but um well i want to be respectful of your time it's uh it's been awesome but i uh, is there anything you wanted to button up with the the resources opportunity the where the city commission's at right now anything like you got to cover your butt on well <laughs> I, I tell you what man i i want to want to leave people with this, um, what I have been professing for some time now, um, for the for the days in which we're living through, uh, I'm just really encouraging people to the best of their ability to do all that they can to extend, extend some grace to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, man, uh, just to the best of your ability in your own unique way, please do all that you can to extend grace to others. Um, I recognize that uh, we all have significant value, uh, but that there are those who walk amongst us who don't feel as if they have any value at all. Uh, part of it is because they have been marginalized and they have been, they believe the lies. Uh, others who walk among us who feel as if, uh, who, who are overvalued, um, and they feel as if they deserve everything and more. Uh, but through it all, we have to just uh, hold uh, hold fast to the the fact that um, you know we are all uh, made in God's image, brother. And there's no big eyes, little use. And uh, quite honestly, uh, I am uh, I'm, I'm I'm believing that Grand Rapids uh, has the potential to be that model city in the country, that model medium sized city that will get some of these things right. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm just I'm I feel blessed to be in a position where I can be a part of that change. I do. I just want to clarify towards the end that I respect everybody in city government who's trying to do the things that you are, the things that you just articulated, that we do have an opportunity in the city to really take this moment in time Mm -hmm. and say, okay, it's hard, but there's an opportunity here that hasn't existed historically to bring up your historic historical references you know there's there's going to be some signals about how we maybe should what might be the best path forward but this is our time it's our moment in history to move something forward so man i I just appreciate you as a friend and your service and um this has been a lot of fun no you're a gift man know that uh yeah thank you very much Mm -hmm. and uh we'll be talking soon i'm sure yes sir The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, in appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives 
through cultural connections. 